Once I stood in the night with my head bowed low in the darkness as black as could be. And my heart felt alone and I cried, oh Lord, don't hide your face from me. my hand all the way, every hour, every day, from here to the grave, unknown. Take my hand, let me stand where no one stands so tall with great riches to call my own but I don't know a thing in this whole wide world that's worse than being alone hold my hand all the way every That's a good song, isn't it? I'll tell you what, there's a lot of times, there's many times in our life where we feel pretty lonely, feel all by ourselves, and we may be around our family, our friends, we may be even around our church family, uh, but boy, I'll tell you what, there's no one that can bring us true comfort, peace, and hope like the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no way. You know, so often we, I don't know, are searching for things that only God can give us, and we're looking like the old song you say, looking for love in all the wrong places. We're looking for peace and purpose and for the comfort that we need and the, the satisfaction and the desire to be met in our life in so many places that it's just not going to happen. God help us to turn to Him. Well, Second Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1 today. Again, we're in our study. We're dealing with our church theme and we've kind of been building on it for the last... Oh, almost a month and a half now. 
Add to your faith. Add to your faith. And so that's what we're doing, and we're trying to learn how to do just that. But 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1 through 10, we'll read that together. I'll read it aloud. You read it silently with me, please. Simon Peter, a servant of, and the apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, According to His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind, cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, ye shall never fall. Well, that ought to be our desire and our goal. Amen. Never fall and to never be barren nor unfruitful. You know, and that's exactly what the apostle Peter had desired for the people that he's now writing to. Of course, the believers there had faced a number of obstacles from outside, but the greatest obstacle they faced was that which was within. And again, we're going to note that, that Peter's trying to encourage them and he's trying to help them. And he wants them to not only begin well, but he wants them to finish well. And that's exactly what God would have us to do today. It's easy to start well, folks. It's easy to have a, a New Year's resolution and get things kick-started. It's another thing come March to still be focused on it. You know, one of the things you'll notice if you go to a gym, and I used to go to those all the time, and even though I don't anymore, I'm sure it's quite noticeable. But the fact is, is that is that when you go to a gym early on in, in the first months of the year, I mean, it's packed out. I mean, come January, you can hardly get in the place. And you're thinking, what happened in December? I, I was just slipping in, getting out of here, getting my workout in, had no problem, hardly ran into anybody. And now all of a sudden, this place is packed. Well, guess what? It's a new year, and a lot of people have made some resolutions, and they're going to get in shape and lose some weight, and, boy, their life's going to change. Boy, you know what? They start off well. Boy, they got the schedule. I'll be there on Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. I'll be putting in this much and doing this many reps on this many machines. And boy, they got it figured out and they got it planned out and they're starting well. But you know, the key is to finish well. The real key is to finish well. And in the Christian life, it's no different. We need to exercise ourselves in the Christian faith. And the fact is, is that we can begin strong and if we don't finish strong, we'll have failed. And so the Apostle Peter here, he's speaking now to the people of God and he's trying to encourage them. Yes, you've started well and yes, you began strong, but I want you to remain strong and I want you to finish strong. And so he begins to share with them an equation, so to speak, a mathematical equation, a, 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 an equation of addition. And he starts to say, now listen, if you truly want to neither be barren nor unfruitful, if you really want to finish well and never fall, then you're going to have to add to your faith. And so he begins this addition process. And he says, obviously, that you're to add to your faith virtue. 
And then he goes on to say, and then to virtue you need to add knowledge. And to knowledge you need to add temperance. And to temperance you need to add patience. And we've taken the time to look at all of those and try to understand them a little bit better. But then he arrives here at this particular juncture. And he says, now you're going to have to add something else. It's not enough that you simply have this virtue, this this excellence of Christ-likeness as your goal and your desire in life. It's not enough that you simply have this knowledge of the person and the, 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 the work and the ways of God as you strive to understand Him and learn about Him. It's not enough to simply have that temperance or that self-control that helps you to deal with those inward desires and not to be overcome by them, but to be able to die to self and say no to self. It's not enough that you have this patience that says you can overcome those exterior forces because you believe in the person who God is, that He's a person who, who has a plan for your life and, and He's going to perform that plan and that He has your best interest at heart and that He's who He claims to be and He keeps His promises. But now you must add something else. You must add godliness. You must add godliness. See, godliness is so important that Peter mentions it before he even begins the list of virtues that we're studying. Notice in verse 3, he says, According as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Notice again, he, he's speaking again. He's bringing up this point of godliness. It's so imperative. It's so important that he mentions it even before he speaks of it in the list. And of course, he then lists it again here in verse 6, as we just read and as we noted earlier here. He puts it in a very strategic position. He, he marks it as that uh, element of uh, a need for maturity. Without it, you can't truly be mature in your relationship with God. And then later on, he, he speaks of it again in this book, in 2 Peter 3, 11 and 12. Look over there. Notice what he says about godliness again. Because godliness is so important. He mentions it before the list. He mentions it in the list. And now he mentions it later on in his epistle. Seeing then that all these things, verse 11, chapter 3, verse 11, all these things shall be dissolved. What manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens, being on fire, shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Notice that Peter doesn't say, since the Lord is coming in fiery judgment, be sure that you're wise or compassionate or just or generous. He doesn't say that. What he says is, in light of the coming judgment, be sure that you're holy and be sure that you're godly. So how do we define godliness? Well... In, in the past, godliness, it was a term for authentic piety or true religion. It was, it's the kind that was consistently lived, whether it was lived in the church house, whether it's lived in the home or in the marketplace or at work. It's genuine. It's real. One might say that godliness is the New Testament equivalent to the Old Testament fear of the Lord. We talk about the fear of the Lord in the Old Testament. Well, in the New Testament, one could point to that word godliness, which incorporates and includes the elements of the fear of the Lord. Because the fear of the Lord is that allness of God that arouses reverence for Him. 
It's a literal fear of His wrath. It's a fear of His power. It's a fear of His judgment. It's a recognition of who God is, what He is. And it's a a recognition that ultimately causes us to revere God, to humble ourselves before God, to depart from evil, and to live a life on His behalf. Therefore, I guess we could define godliness as a God-fearing lifestyle that promotes righteousness and opposes evil. A God-fearing lifestyle that promotes righteousness and opposes evil. The Scottish preacher John Brown, he paints a portrait of the word by saying it this way, it is descriptive of the right state of the individual with regard to God. The right state of his mind, of his heart, of his life, of his thoughts, his affections, and his conduct. The right way of thinking, feeling, and acting towards God. Godliness. So how do we develop godliness in our lives? What's needed to see it flourish in our lives? Well, I want to address those three, those, those simple questions. And I want to address those questions by making three observations concerning godliness. Number one, godliness is ignited by devotion. Number two, godliness is fueled by discipline. And finally, godliness is characterized by courage. And so we're going to note those today as we move along. Let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll try to tackle this and try to get through it today. There's a lot to get through. We'll see. I may have to just scrap the notes and go from memory so that we can get through it, because I probably can't remember half of my notes. (laughs) So you'd be safer that way, probably. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for just the privilege that we have, Lord, to gather today. And thank you for this group that's, Father, assembled and Lord, each and every person has come here today with something in mind of what they want or what they're here for. I I understand, Lord, that sometimes we attend church maybe even for the wrong reasons. But at least, Father, we're here. Help us now, Lord, that we're here to get what you want for us. Father, one may have come because someone invited them and thought, well, I'll just go to church. I've been invited. I don't want to offend them. Lord, that's a blessing that they're here. I'm thankful for that. Lord, now they're in your house, and now you can speak to them. Father, may each of us open our hearts now and our minds to your word and to you. May we, Father, allow ourselves to be influenced by you. Father, bless us now today. And Lord, if there be any here that do not know you as Savior and Lord, may they settle that before they leave. May they have a confidence that they're on their way to heaven because you're their Savior. You're their God. And Father, I also pray for we who claim to know you. May we, Father, have a, not only a desire, but a determination to be godly. Well, thank you. In Christ's name, amen. First of all, godliness is ignited by devotion. What I guess I'm saying is that it kind of takes off, or it started through this aspect of devotion. Now, devotion, the kind of devotion that we need, is described and demanded to us in those couple of attributes that we've already discussed in our, our, our study. We think of virtue. And we talked about the fact that it's, it's you know, moral excellence and ultimately an excellence of Christ-likeness as being the goal of our life. A desire to truly be Christ-like and making that the, the focal point of our life. Not, not simply trying to accomplish something in our home or our family or with friends or trying to have a great career in life or to be very comfortable financially. No, our goal, our desires, believers, is to truly be like Christ 
And that is that arete, that excellence that we talked about, that devotion to God. And how did we arrive at that? We, 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 that kind of fuels everything, kind of moves everything. But ultimately, what do we have to do with that arete or that, that cry of excellence, that determination to be Christ-like? Well, we have to add to it knowledge. And, and we notice that knowledge comes from what? The Word of God. That knowledge of, of who Christ is, His person, His work, and His ways. And so if we truly want to, to, to become godly, then we're going to have to make a commitment to devotion, be devoted to God. And that devotion will ignite this godliness in our life. Now, nothing stands as a greater roadblock to godliness than today's entertainment mindset. You know, this aspect of entertainment. Uh, the modern casual church even, this casual Christianity that is promoted today even, it stands between true godliness and simply Christianity. It's one thing to be a Christian, it's another thing to be godly. There's a difference between that. And unfortunately today, we see this element of devotion lacking in the lives of many believers. Now again, devotion to Christ which character, is characterized by uh, you know, this, a godly man, and, and that godly man is going to cultivate this aspect of godliness. And that means that it's not going to be cultivated with a, a counsel or controller in your hand. You know, looking at a TV screen and, and punching buttons and pushing buttons for hour after hour after hour after hour. Today, it seems today that we, we spend more time playing video games than we do even trying to support our families half the time. It's an amazing thing to me how grown men will spend all their time in front of a television screen with an Xbox or some kind of other gaming system and push buttons all day and then wonder why they have no desire for the things of God. This godliness and this, this morphing of this Christian into a godly person Again, is not cultivated by a game council in a hand for baby, you know, hour after hour, but instead it is cultivated by literally increasing our time in the Word of God, having Bible in hand. Instead of holding that gaming thing, we set it down and we put this in our hands. We spend time in the Word of God. We increase our time that we spend in that book. We begin to understand and learn who God is and His ways and His purpose and His plan for life and for the universe and for our world. Again, it doesn't grow by spending hour upon hour upon hour before a television set or a computer or a theater screen. More understanding of the person, the work, and the ways of Jesus Christ. That's the way godliness grows and devotion to God. And again, that's an element of devotion. Again, it's foundational. Godliness is not accidental. It, it, it is intentional. You have to say, I want to be godly. And I'm going to strive to be godly. I intend on being godly. And, and so I'm going to have to dismiss a few things in my life. I'm going to have to lay a few things down. And I'm going to have to pick up something that is much more dearer. And that's the Word of God. Psalm chapter 4 verse 3 says, The Lord hath set apart him that is godly for himself. Psalm 4 3, The Lord hath set apart him that is godly for himself. Not only does God set apart him that's godly for himself, but the godly man thrives on his personal time with God. He sets aside time to be with God. 
She sets aside time to be with God. And so the Christian who would be godly can't fill their time with a bunch of entertainment and recreation. That can't be our goal in life. Well, I just want to be able to have enough money to buy another, you know, a, a, a home at the beach. I want to be able to get away on weekends and spend time with the family at the lake. I want to be able to go camping every weekend. I want to be able to do this and do that. Man, that's my goal in life, to be comfortable enough and to be able to enjoy the entertainment. I want the biggest screen TV I can have so I can veg out in front of it for hour after hour after hour after hour. I just want to be comfortable and entertained. If that's your goal in life, you'll never be godly. Never. There comes a point where we have to be willing to say, listen, my devotion to God exceeds my desire for comfort, for ease, for entertainment. Again, godliness is not accidental. It is intentional. Listen, all of those things have their place in our life. They really do. And they're needful and necessary. But they ought to be like that salt that we put on our meal sparingly. Not literally drinking out of the salt shaker. And that's basically how we tend to respond to those things in our dispensation and age in which we live. They're not to be a main course. They're to be something that spices up life a little bit. By the way, it's important to realize too that this devotion to Christ is not achieved. It's not obtained by some high-octane Christian pop or rock music. It's not obtained by some sentimental kumbaya around the fire, holding hands. it's It's not made possible simply by some emotional experience. No, it is made possible. There is no substitute for a daily, personal pursuit of Christ in the Word of God. That's the only way that we arrive at godliness in our life. True devotion to Jesus Christ. One-on-one with the master of the universe. See, there's a lot going on between the godly man or woman and their God. It's a lot happening. And their personal quiet time with God, it's measured, yes. Not by minutes a week, but eventually by hours a week. Did you hear what I said? There's a lot going on between the godly man or woman and his God. And it's not measured by simply minutes a week, but by hours a week, eventually. And someone says, well, I'm a new to Christianity. You may have to spend hours to be godly. Well, as you grow in Christ, you will find that it will become that way. It doesn't start that way. And listen, I give advice and I give encouragement to young people in Christ, maybe even just legitimately young people or even adults that are struggling in their Bible reading and prayer. One of the things sometimes that we get caught up in is trying to, you know, kind of measure up to other people, you know. We get caught up on trying to, you know, be like the Joneses, so to speak. And the fact is, is we hear somebody say, yeah, I spend, a, I spend hours in, in my Bible reading and praying. And we go, man, if I don't spend hours, then I'm a failure. And so what happens is they set a schedule aside. They try to plan some time in the Word of God. And next thing you know, they're reading 5 and 10 and 15 chapters a day. And, and they're trying to pray for 30, 40 minutes at a crack. And they go, I can't do it. And they feel like miserable failures. And you know what? I can understand that. Been there, done that in the past. So I try to say to him, listen, why don't you start with five minutes of reading in the Word and five minutes of prayer? Take ten minutes. But do it consistently and do it daily and do it regularly. Meet with God. Don't set unrealistic expectations. Yes, start somewhere though. 
But then that five minutes will turn to 10, and that 10 will turn to 15, and that 15 will turn to 20. And let me tell you something. As you draw closer to God, and as you see yourself growing in the Lord, you'll see that that time spent with God increases as well. Pretty soon you'll say, man, I need at least an hour a day to get that in. I need at least 45 minutes a day. I need 30 minutes a day. You'll need something. But you'll go, wow, it's not like it used to be. I used to be able to get down there and my prayer list and pray for a few minutes and read my Bible, but now I can't get it done. I've got to have more time with the Lord. I need Him more than ever. Not I've had enough of Him. Godliness is ignited by devotion. If our devotional life and if our devotion to God is not what it ought to be, we will never, ever, ever arrive at godliness. Oh, by the way, let me warn you. Anyone who decides that they need to turn off a television set or a computer or possibly stop doing something because they want to spend more time with the Lord or possibly quit feeding the flesh... I want to warn you that you're going to feel kind of awkward. You're going to feel rather strange as you try to manage that extra time that you have. As a matter of fact, you're going to feel like your mind will be rather agitated at times. Even while you read your Bible, you'll feel like, man, I just don't seem to be able to concentrate. I just can't seem to spend the time I want. I I want to read a lot, but my mind wanders all the time. Prayer will seem uncomfortable at times. It'd be difficult. Even though you've made the commitment to it and you, you've scheduled the time, you'll find yourself feeling somewhat uncomfortable even in prayer. It may be difficult to find a passage of Scripture that seems to speak to you. You know, I'm in my Bible and I'm praying and I'm trying all my best, but I can't seem to get it. Uh, that's natural when you first start doing those things. Even reading a Christian book or a devotional may seem somewhat clumsy and make you feel out of sorts a little bit. This doesn't seem to fit. Don't feel comfortable. You're going to feel a little bit awkward. Well, some of it may be that it's just difficult getting used to spending that much time with the Lord and doing things that honor Him. But you know, the reality is we have to be honest about this. Habits are not easy to change. I mean, mental habits, physical habits, they're not easy to change. If, if I asked you today to take a pen in your hand real quick and say you had a piece of paper and, uh, and, and, and you might want to try this real quick if you just want to, but write your name, just your first name with a pen and, and just write your first name down. Just real quick. Okay, now, now I want you to take your other hand now and put the pen in that one and now write your name again. <laughs> just try it once, really. I, I did this exercise. I tried this. It, it was very what? Uncomfortable. Very uncomfortable. It sure looks a lot worse too, doesn't it? Do you know what that is? You, you've, you've developed a habit. And so you can write your name without even thinking with that pen hand that you use. But that other hand, you have to really concentrate. You have to really think. And as a matter of fact, you feel extremely awkward and uncomfortable. May I say that that's exactly how it is when you make the decision to go ahead and discard some things in your life because the devotional life for Jesus Christ is more important to you. The fact is that I'm going to make Christ's likeness my goal in my life and I'm going to go ahead and learn about Jesus Christ. I'm going to spend time in His Word so I can know His person, I can know His work, and I can know His ways. And you will feel very uncomfortable because you've had a bad habitual lifestyle of indulgences. And so have I. Boy, we're uncomfortable when we get to the things that are so different. 
There's also another factor at work, of course, that makes us feel that way. It's our sinful nature. It's that atomic nature. Who in the world wants to give up those indulgences? That, That flesh doesn't want to give it up. That flesh doesn't want to submit to the king. Our flesh doesn't want to do those things. The truth is, it's just a lot easier to go on living the way we are. It's simpler. It's easier. And you know what? We, we kind of, along the way, we, 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 we think, well, it's just easier to live that way. And we kind of hope along the way that even though we're ignoring God and even though we're ignoring His Word, somehow we'll still find satisfaction and be productive in this life. Sadly, many choose the path of least resistance. You know what? They never achieve godliness or true Christ-likeness. There's a price to pay. There really is. Ask yourself, am I purposing to become distinctly Christ-centered? If I made up my mind that every activity and every action in my life, I want it to be Christ-centered. What I do, I do for Christ. What I do, I do for a reason, with a purpose. To help me to be more like Christ. That means you can take a vacation still. But there's a purpose for that vacation. It's not just to sneak away from friends and be able to drink beer and alcohol while no one's looking. It's not just to get away and take off, you know, the, 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 the mask, so to speak, and let the hair down and do things the way you really want to do them because now nobody's there to see it. Maybe we get away because we might need some physical rest. We get away because we need a departure from the mental stress and strain of life. God understands we're just mere humans. Even Jesus got away, but what He did not get away from was Him, God. He still went to God in prayer and He still sought the devotional life. Even when He was on vacation, He was in the presence of His Father. Sad, isn't it? We go on vacation, we don't even go to church. We don't go on vacation, we don't even read our Bibles. We, we, don't, we go on vacation and we don't even... Be, we're not even devoted. And, and let me just bring this up. This thing called stay vacation is a joke. Joke. I got me a class of kids that I love with all my heart and I'm in town, but I don't want to teach them. I don't want to invest in them. What's wrong with that? Oh, I don't want to take care of my kids this week, so I'm just going to let somebody else take care of them. Come on, preacher. I don't want to feed my kids and provide for my family. I'll just take vacation even though we won't get a paycheck this week. Who cares if we can eat? It doesn't matter. All that matters is my comfort. Someone says, you're a little upset? I'm upset because we call ourselves godly, but we don't even have the desires of godliness. Are you kidding me? Vacation from God? Vacation from church? Vacation from the family of God? What are we talking about here? So I'm supposing we're probably taking vacation from devotions and taking vacation from that personal time, taking vacation from a prayer list. Sad. It's truly sad today, isn't it? The lack of devotion. Do I daily delight in the person of Christ? Every day, do I think of Christ and His goodness and grace in my life? What would... would If I accounted for my time spent reading and meditating upon the Word of God... What would it reveal about my true place with God? And if I really look at what I really do, not just what I want to do, but what the time I spend in His Word, the time I spend in prayer, the time I spend meditating upon Scripture and Him, what does it say about me? Does it reflect me as one pointed toward godliness or not? Do I see... 
around me and in the word, the work of Christ? Is my mind filled with the ways of Christ? Do I think about this constantly, continually? Him, His ways, His work, His person. Devotion. Devotion. Let's touch on this last... Well, I got two others. This ain't happening. Godliness. Godliness is fueled by discipline. Yes, it's ignited by devotion. And without devotion, you'll never, ever arrive at godliness. But also, godliness is fueled by discipline. It's made possible. It's enabled. It's powered by discipline. Godliness is. And and listen, let's just be honest. Discipline is what we all lack in the room today. Every last one of us do. Discipline is what keeps us at home when we don't feel quite well enough, but we can go to work. Discipline is what offers that, you know, those excuses that say things like, well, I don't want to go there and, you know, I, I don't want to get somebody else sick. Oh, I see. But you're at work getting people sick. You go to school getting people sick, but you won't come to church. Got sniffles today. You know what discipline says? That's what I do. I'll be there. If I'm not sick enough to stay home from work, I'm certainly not going to stay home from God's house because I need that more than I need work. You see how we lack? Discipline is something we lack. You know, we, we have to, we get up and we hit snooze buttons left and right, left and right, left and right. Why? Because we're undisciplined. We fail to arrive on time to church. Why? Because we're undisciplined. Why are you dragging late every week? Well, you just don't understand. Yeah, I do. You're undisciplined. You can't control your flesh. Somebody says, man, you're really nailing us. Yeah, I'm nailing you. Because if you want true godliness in your life, you're going to have to exhibit some discipline in your life. You don't get this thing by just simply living life the way you want. It's not by accident. It's by design. Godliness is fueled by discipline. That's why most people aren't godly. We can be Christians and not godly. But the fact is most of us lack the discipline to become godly. I think we have desires to be godly. I think we want to please God in our life and with our actions. I think we genuinely have a heart for God in so many ways. But what's lacking often is the fuel that ultimately catapults us to godliness, and that's discipline. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, look there if you would, please. You know, years ago, people went to churches and preachers would get up and rant and rave, and they'd talk about, man, I got my toes stepped on, and man, I got my heart, you know, a knife, a dagger in my heart, and man, I'll tell you what, it was just, whew, Boy, I tell you what, God got a hold of me. Man, I had to confess some sin, and I had to deal with some things, and I had to get right with God. Nowadays, the mentality is simple. You come to church, and the preacher's supposed to tell you things like, you know what, just keep trying. God loves you. It's all good. And if he says anything other, and he makes me feel bad about myself, that's not the church I need, because I need positive self affirmation and I need to feel good about myself and I don't need somebody putting me down I don't need somebody telling me where I'm wrong I need somebody to lift me up see we've lost that's why we don't have godliness we got a lot of churches there's very little godliness folks and as we go through this we'll understand that but we may have to pick up a little bit on this next week but the fact is is that godliness is something that God expects of us why are we seeing Christians falling left and right why do we see people that are unfruitful in the Christian life 
Oh, they name themselves as Christians, but we don't see ever souls saved. We don't see evidence of a life that's being given to others. We don't see them sacrificing selflessly for others and for the cause of Christ. Why is it that we're unfruitful and we're unbarren? And we're barren, excuse me. Why, Why is that? Maybe because we've never attained to godliness. Because without godliness, you can't arrive at that point. And it demands devotion. And it requires discipline. Notice 1 Timothy 4, 7 through 8. But refuse profane and old wise fables and exercise thyself, exercise thyself, exercise thyself rather unto godliness. Anybody ever do some exercise in your life? Uh, Brother Chris, uh, one of our young men, was, went and worked out with one of the staff this last week. They went to a gym and they did some weightlifting. He came to prayer meeting yesterday and he come dragging into prayer meeting. So what's wrong, brother? He said, and, 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 the, and the staff member said, are you sore? He said, yeah. You want to know why? His body wasn't used to what? Exercise. The Christian life. Notice he's talking about it. He says, but, prof- but profuse, refuse profane and old wise fables and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. Let me tell you something. If you're not used to exercising yourself unto godliness, guess what you're going to be? A little sore. It's going to be uncomfortable. For bodily exercise profits a little. But godliness is profitable unto all things. Having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. What he's saying is your life is better today and it will be better tomorrow in the future. It will be better in eternity if you exercise godliness. Listen, there's, it's not a problem. It's not a waste of time to exercise your body. It's good for you. It's good for me. Listen, we got one body. You better take care of it. Do the best you can with it. But if you had to make a choice between going up to that gym and doing some reps, taking a lap around the pool, jogging around the track, doing some bench presses, chin-ups, whatever it might be, or spending time in disciplined Bible study and prayer. You'd be better off spending some time in this book right here, he says. This is what's going to profit you, not just today, but in eternity. See, our perspective is skewed. Peter says that we need to add to devotion. We talked about that, the pursuit of Christ-likeness and the knowledge of the Lord. We have to add something else. And then we went on in our list. Remember, we talked about this fact of temperance or self-control. We went on to talk about patience that deals with the external pressures and forces of life. Circumstances and situations where we can still look them boldly in the face. And we're not discouraged and we're not down and we're not destroyed by them. Well, we can patiently wait on God because we know who He is. And we know that He has a purpose and a plan. And that He's going to fulfill that purpose and plan. We can trust God. Because He's not only powerful enough to handle it, but He's there for us. We have this aspect of discipline now. Ruling our flesh, ruling our desires, our passions within. Being able to say no to self and yes to the right things. And then exteriorly, that patience, being able to say, no, that guy just cut me off, but I will not allow that to upset my spirit. I say no to self again. I won't let any circumstance or situation control me. My God controls me. See, godliness... 
is going to be built on the back of devotion, yes, but also discipline. It's fueled by discipline. Devotion and discipline provide the foundation for what we call courage today. And courage, as we will see, is the quality that characterizes godliness. So devotion plus discipline equals courage. Or we could say godliness. Because if there's no courage that can be demonstrated in your life to stand for God in the midst of evil, in the face of persecution, then there is no true godliness. That's why devotion and discipline are so highly valued in the military. I mean, when you talk about military and you talk about people involved in the military, two of the qualities that they want to instill in people as soon as they arrive is what? Devotion to country and discipline. People say, well, that young man, he has no discipline. He needs to go in the military. Why? Because we know the military is supposed to try to instill discipline. I'm not convinced that they do as good a job at it as they used to because their hands are tied so often now. But they used to go in there and, buddy, you went in a boy, you came out a man. Unfortunately, you learned some things you probably shouldn't have along the way too. But nonetheless, if you could keep yourself away from the alcohol and from the, 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 the you know, immorality, you could leave there with some self-discipline. And you know what? They, 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 they consider it very valuable in military life. See, because anyone in the military who's protecting our country's interests, providing us freedom, they, they've got to be able to discard their own personal passions. They have to be able to do that in order to carry out the country's mission. You can't go overseas for three or six or eight or twelve months. You can't go overseas and fight in a battle if you can't control your passions. If you can't say no to yourself. I mean, you're still longing. Whether it's a forced march and you've you're, you got a pack of 70 pounds in your back and you're making your way on a 20-mile forced march, or whether or not you're concerned about family back home and you just wish you could hold them in your arms, you need to be able to say no to yourself. You need to, be able to demonstrate some self-discipline. Because otherwise the mission will never be completed. Everybody will be running home to mama. And so while their bodies may be screaming for rest, they keep on marching. While their hearts are breaking for loved ones at home, they keep on fighting. They keep saying no to their desires over the long haul. And they keep saying no to their desires under great stress and pressure. See, Paul understood the necessity, the, the, the need for discipline in the lives of believers. See, the believer is nothing more than a soldier in a spiritual battle. And he's expected to wage spiritual warfare in this life. Paul told Timothy, and he tells you and I in 2 Timothy 2, 3 through 4. Turn there if you would as we close this out today. We're going to end with this one. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 through 4. He tells Timothy, and he speaking to you and I as well, he says, Thou therefore, 2 Timothy 2, 3-4, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. You know, as the athlete trains himself for the race, so the Christian must train himself to be the follower of Christ. As a soldier must battle for the victory, so the Christian must 
constantly and tirelessly face struggle, the struggle of goodness, right, and righteousness. If we're ever going to arrive on the shore of godliness, then we're going to have to exhibit and instill some devotion. There must be devotion in our life. And that devotion is found in the Word of God. How much devotion do we really have? How much time do we spend in God's Word and in His presence? And we want godliness, I believe. I mean, none of us want to be neither barren nor... None of us want to be barren or unfruitful. None of us want to fall. I mean, we all want to be solid and strong for God. But remember, this list, although comprehensive, it builds on one another. Godliness is the next in the steps of the phases, if you will. The development of the believer. Virtue. Knowledge. That's devotion. Temperance. Patience. That's discipline. And on the back of those rises godliness. Without devotion and without discipline. There'll be no godliness. How are you doing with those things? Do you spend time with God consistently and faithfully? I'm not talking about when you're deathly sick. I'm not talking about when you're, you can't think straight because you're delirious with, with fever. I understand there's times you just feel horrible, sick to death. I'm talking about when you could, but you can't say no to the television. You can't say no to the Facebook You can't say no to the computer screen. You can't say no to wanting to go out to eat or to do the things that bring you pleasure, comfort, and entertainment. Folks, I'm not saying you can't enjoy those things. But how much more important should he be, this word, and our attainment to Christ-likeness and godliness? Because bodily exercise profiteth little. But boy, godliness, it profits both now and in eternity. God, help us today. We love you. Father, we're we're needy people. There's not one of us in the room that doesn't need this message. I need it more than anybody. Well, God, help me to be more devoted and more disciplined in my life. Lord, I'm certainly not godly like I ought to be. God, help me and help these here today. And Father, may we truly, Father, evaluate our lives, Father, in light of this list of virtues and characteristics and qualities that you've given us in the book of Second Peter. Lord, may we not be so ignorant of our own hearts and our own ways that we would try to dismiss the inconsistencies in our life. May we not be so arrogant to think somehow, Lord, that we're the exception to all the rules in the Word of God, that we don't need to be as disciplined or we don't need to be as devoted and we can still be godly. Help us to realize, Lord, we've all been created by you, our Creator, You know us better than anyone. And in your word, you've given us some direction and leadership. Help us, Lord, to truly move forward, Father, to truly exhibit these qualities and characteristics, both, but mostly inwardly, and then they'll show themselves outwardly. But, Father, they'll reveal themselves ultimately in that aspect of courage that we weren't able to talk about today. And it'll reflect on our godliness. Help us, Lord, to be faithful to you now. But, Father, help us to make decisions. Maybe someone needs to make a decision to be more to be consistent in the Word of God.
to set an actual time every day and then to be disciplined enough to keep that time and to begin to move forward in their walk with you, their relationship with you, that they may arrive on the shore of godliness. Father, there may be someone lost today without Christ. In a moment, the music will play. Give them courage to step out of the pew or out of the seat, walk the aisle and come right to the front and see me. And we'll have someone take the word of God and show them how they can be saved and how their sin can be washed away and heaven can be their home one day. Well, thank you in Christ's name.